and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, the Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I'm joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat beat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, how's Atlanta? Cold. It's, uh, I mean, Atlanta, you're always expecting this time of year to be cold, but it yeah. was the 20s last night, and I think today it's like in the 30s. So it is um, pretty freezing for Atlanta standards. Yeah, well, it is a, uh, a dreary, rainy Wednesday morning here in, in Miami, so you're not missing a whole lot uh, down here. Um, heat, uh, get ready to get back at it tonight uh, after three days off, a weird little long break in the middle of this road trip where they actually came home between a pair of road, between the, the last two games of this long road trip. Um, they'll obviously have played by the time everyone's listening to this, but, uh, no matter what happens tonight, it's been, as we've kind of said the last couple of weeks every time we come on here, a really impressive stretch for this Heat team. Uh, whoever they put out on the court has played well. Obviously, we've talked about a lot about Omar Yurtseven, um, a lot all year about Max Struess, who's been playing well since he came back off the COVID list. Uh, obviously, last week we talked a lot about Kyle Guy and thought that was going to be maybe the last time we talked about him. He's coming back on another 10-day uh, hardship deal with a couple more players now on the COVID list. Uh, what, what has kind of stood out to you most about this stretch as it really looks like this Heat team is starting to get a little bit more healthy. We're obviously, uh, Bam should be returning sometime in the next few weeks. You've obviously, you know, a lot for a long time, the Heat was down to maybe one or two starters per game for basically a month there. It was, I don't think they had more than two of their starters in any game, whether it was, you know, Jimmy with some injuries, Jimmy on the COVID, or Jimmy with some injuries, Duncan on the COVID list. It was always kind of something, but now we're basically at the point where it's everyone's back except for Bam. Uh, what, what has kind of stood out to you about this most recent stretch as this team is starting to get a little bit more healthy? I mean, they just keep finding ways to win without Bam and Jimmy. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, and even tonight in Atlanta, Jimmy's not playing because of his ankle and, and Bam's still not back. It's another game. They're 10 yep. 4 without Bam and Jimmy this year. I mean, how? Like, I don't, I don't, I, it's just, um, that record without those two guys is pretty surprising. And I know Kyle Lowry has a lot to do with it. Obviously, having a third guy like that helps yeah. kind of stabilize things. And, especially, and P.J. Tucker, too. P.J. Tucker doesn't put up the numbers, but just having a presence like that on the court offensively where he can get guys open shots because with the screening and then defensively, he's just another really, really good defender. He's also uh, straight up, like, leading the league in three-point percentage. And that, uh, yeah, shooting almost, like, 50% on threes. Um, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest story behind their success without those two guys has been the three-point shooting, which we've talked about a lot, so we don't have to go into it too much. But, I mean, just another example of it was in Phoenix. I mean, they hit, they tied their franchise record with 22 threes. I think they've hit 22 threes, like, in four or five games in franchise history. And three of them had come like yeah. in the past month. <laughs> like, I, I, it's it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, is it sustainable this three point shooting? I, I don't think so. I mean, they are like their personnel does call for this type of style, but this is like their best month in franchise history as far as you know their outside shooting. So I don't know how sustainable it is, but right now it's really working, and they're really dependent on it. But they keep hitting them, so um, they're going to keep playing like that until they have you know Bam, Jimmy, and, and the others back. Yeah, and obviously the thing is it doesn't necessarily have to be sustainable. Right. Because, uh, you know, like we said, they're they're missing their two best players for most of this season uh, and should be getting them back soon here. Uh, 
you it's an interesting situation there though because you know I, I think when we when we first started talking about how can they win during this streak this is kind of what we envisioned right we thought they were going to bomb threes basically and and that's kind of over the last 3 4 years in the NBA it's kind of the, the always been the recipe for undermanned teams to equalize the talent level right if if you take 43s in a game an element of randomness comes into it. Obviously, it's not totally randomness with the Heat because they have so many good three-point shooters, but it is. it made sense of the way they were going to play. Obviously, they do it, I think, still probably like more creatively than a lot of teams that just do the spread, pick, and roll, and kick out the shooters all the time. The, the Heat are, you know, I think, still more creative about getting their shots and get guys – Get guys involved more, I think, just on a on a consistent basis. Whereas, you know, it's, with some of these teams, guys will touch the ball ten times, take five dribbles, and shoot ten threes. Right? It, it's different with the Heat, where where guys are screening, like you said, and and curling off screens. Obviously, Duncan Robinson is good as anyone in the league at that. Um, but you know, Max Struess doing it too. Like they, they they just do it differently. And I think one that has helped make this. Uh, uh, the personnel helps, and then I just think the scheme obviously helps too. And having Kyle Lowry, um, who's you know one of the best passers in the league, and again does it differently than that spread pick and roll, just drive and, and kick out the shooters. I, I think all that helps. But the key thing here is that it's an option for them, but it doesn't have to be the option. And I, I think it's why it's interesting because like that win at the Suns is. Like, on paper, one of the most impressive wins anyone has this year. But ultimately, like, how much does it actually tell us about this team? Because, realistically, the Heat is not going to be playing that style come playoff time. Or are they? Is it? Could you see their identity change a little bit because of what we have seen in the last couple of weeks here? I don't think so. I think the identity will remain the same. I, you know, I know their three-point numbers were down early this year as far as just attempts and obviously three-point percentage. But that was also because Kyle and Duncan were just not shooting the, at right. all. Well, like when when everyone was healthy, Duncan and Kyle got off to a really slow start. Yeah. Um, and Max Schuess, yeah, he, he played well in the beginning. PJ Tucker played well, but they really weren't these high volume guys because they didn't need to be with Jimmy and Bam in there. Um, I still think, you know, obviously the offense is going to run a lot through Jam- Jimmy and Bam, and it should. Um, they had some of the free throw on a lot, so that will kind of I think slow things down and maybe. Take away some of the three-point attempts just because they have to the free throw line so much, both of them, and they score in the paint. Um, so you know, naturally, you're not, they're not going to be averaging 40 plus threes a game with those two guys in the, on the court. But I mean, we've seen the last two years, even in the run to the finals, like three pointers were a huge part of that offense. Yeah, because of their ability to kind of draw multiple defenders by getting into the paint and, and then just spraying out. Um, so I think it's going to be a similar type of thing. Are they, they going to take 40 plus threes? Very likely not, but uh, you know, I, I still think they finish. You know, they may take thirty or thirty-five threes a game, and with the shooters that they have, they s- should make a high percentage of them. Um, I mean, two years ago, this team was the second best three-point shooting right. team in the league. Last year was a huge dip, but I think we forget just about all the good shooters this team has. And again, they started the year slow, but they have more than come around over the past month at a very good time. And you know, guys like. Not only PJ and Duncan, but Max Struess, you know, Gabe Vincent. Um, I mean, this team has a lot of really, really good three-point shooters, and 
and it's it's a weapon for this team, even when I think Bam and Jimmy uh, do return. Yeah, finding that balance is going to be really the story of the last few months of this season. Um, obviously, the Heat are going to be fighting for a top three seed or whatever, and and that that will matter, right? You want to get those home games. Uh, ideally, you'd like to not have you'd like to have to only play one of Brooklyn or uh, Milwaukee on the way to the finals. But the real thing to figure out with this team is well, one, we just just we haven't seen them at full strength basically all year, right? Because you know, and they've been at full health, but I, I don't know full strength because, as you mentioned, Duncan and, and Kyle were not shooting well at the beginning of the year, and that really messed with what this team's offense could be, and, and now. Uh, they've shot well, obviously, over the last month here when they've been counted on a little bit more. Um, so now one, once we get Bam back, once we get Jimmy back, we, we really get to see what this offense has a chance to look at while it's all clicking. But then the other thing is, you know, we know Spose always likes to experiment, right? He's, he's the kind of guy who's changing his rotations depending on the opponent, depending on the night, riding hot hand, whatever. Um you know, a month ago, I don't think we thought that Omar Yurtsevin was necessarily going to be in the playoff rotation. Or, uh, you know, like Kyle Guy, as I mentioned, like, they obviously don't want to lose him. I, I don't know if they'll figure out how, but, but they're, they're getting creative now and, and getting him on a, another 10-day um, because the opportunity opened up. The question that, that they're going to have to figure out, like I said, in, in the last two months, three months of the regular season, whatever it is, once – uh, Bam gets back post All Star break is is going to be how to make this all all work and you know it's it's a blending of two identities both of which have been really successful this year obviously the best teams in the league uh, can win in multiple styles and, and that's a nice perk that he has clearly hit on right now but uh, the ceiling of this team is is going to be about blending the two. And that's a trickier proposition, like, easier said than done, basically. Yeah, I, I think that's right. But, I, you know, I, I don't want to create a straw man because I, I, I haven't seen that many people say, like, oh, they're better with Alabama and Jimmy. But I have yeah. seen, like, some tweets kind of hinting at, like, well, can they actually play this style and Bam and Jimmy are in there? And it's working so well. And, like, does do Bam and Jimmy take away from that? I'll say this about that. Like, A, I mean, what, what I just said about I think that, you know, their outside shooting will still be a strength for them, even when those two guys are on the court. Um, maybe not the volume they're they're shooting them now, but B, I think Bam and Jimmy, like that style you play with with those two guys, is more playoff. Yes, that's that's definitely true. I mean, the 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 teams that, like I said, it's, it's usually the bad teams, the teams that have no identity, the teams that have none of the stars to play this high volume three point. Game. You know, there's obviously exceptions. The, the Warriors, back when they were the Warriors, um, you know, the, the first iteration of the Warriors could do that because their two best players were the two best three-point shooters in NBA history. And yeah. uh, the Rockets obviously did that because they had the guy who runs that spread pick and roll better than anyone in NBA history when James Harden was there uh, leading them to the conference finals every year. Um, but for the most part, yeah, like you, you don't see the teams that, bomb three-pointers like that, getting that far. It takes another uh, – you need that, that other dimension. You can't be totally one-dimensional with that, and the Heat obviously aren't. Yeah, and you, you need to get to the line a lot, which yes. is the best, one of the best in the league. Yeah, Bama's gotten a lot better at. You need to make tough shots and you know around the paint, and they're both, Bama and Jimmy are both good at that. So I, I think this team is going to be at its best, especially when it comes to the playoffs, 
with them and Jimmy doing their thing and leading the offense with a Kyle Lowry too. Yeah, I mean, that helps. I mean, uh, we know I know that he had Goron, and we saw. I mean, the best version of the Heat during that playoff run to the finals was when Goron was like playing the best basketball of his career and looked like an elite point guard. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle can play that role, um, so I I think. You know, having Bam and Jimmy just adds another layer to his offense, and this team can still make a lot of threes again. Um, but it, you know, it's just going to be, it's going to come in a different way, and you know, the volume again, it's 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 impossible for it not to take a hit just because you know Bam and Jimmy take a lot of shots and they don't really take many threes. Yeah, the other the other wrinkle in this uh, recent hot stretch has been uh, Omar Yurtseven, who, like I said, is a guy that I think uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were like. You know, he's a, he's a nice – if someone gets hurt, he can maybe play. Maybe you were higher on him, uh, as, as we've discussed. But, uh, you know, I've he's been a guy who's – rookie of the year, so, I mean. But he's been a guy who's been, you know, one of the best centers in the league over the last two weeks, basically. Um, a guy who looks like he – you know, it's just, like, tough to take him off the court right now. How, how do you see – obviously, we have not really seen him and Bam play together at all because when Bam was healthy, Yurt was – not playing. I, I, you might have the number in front of you or, or can pull it up quickly, but I can't imagine they've played a whole lot of minutes together this year. Um, yeah, I don't know if they played any minutes, actually. Yeah, I would, I would guess they've played zero, but yeah. if they have, it's it's probably in the single digits. Right. Um, how, how do you envision him fitting in, if he fits in, once Bam gets back? Is there still a, a path? And obviously, you know, dead, I guess once Bam and Deadman are healthy, is, is there a is there a path for, for Yurt to still be part of this rotation, still be part of this, the plan uh, when the games matter the most? Um, apparently, Bam and Omer played in four games together, but a total of zero minutes. So it must have been like one of those things where like they play... Uh, Probably like, not a free throw or something. Yeah, it, exactly, exactly. So not much, like we said. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of think Omer is kind of just out of the rotation, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, I just, you know, maybe take some of Deadman's minutes, but Deadman has been so good, and I think kind of what you need in a backup center role is exactly what Deadman gives you, right? It's, like, more about the role behind Bam. You need, like, another another really good just rim runner, type of guy who could, you know, be a rim protector and, and is good on defense. Um, Omer's gotten better at defense, but it's not his strong suit. He's more of a, you know, an elite rebounder, and you can run offense through him, and he could score. Like, I, I think off the bench in those – 12 minutes that Bama is not playing, you kind of need an energy guy like like Deadman. So uh, maybe the answer is until Markeith comes back, Omer takes that role in yeah. the power rotation, you know. But then again, he's going to have to play either with Deadman or with Bam a few minutes for that to work. Can he do that? I mean, I think that's going to be the big question. What? How does Spo feel about playing two of his bigs together? Um, we haven't seen Omer really stretch the court much. Um, you know, even though he's been playing really well, he hasn't been asked to do that. So he, he can do it. I mean, we saw it in summer league. He, he could shoot. Yeah. Uh, so maybe his role changes a little bit, but then he might not be as good a rebounder. Do you want to do that? I mean, so it's there are a lot of question marks. It's kind of hard to believe that he's just going to be out of the rotation with how well he's playing. Like you said, he's been uh, arguably the best rookie in the NBA over the last month. Um, it's kind of crazy. But, yeah, I, I think – it's that's going to be tough. I mean, Spo's going to have some really tough de- decisions. Not only that, but Max Schrue starting. Yeah. Duncan Robinson coming off the bench. Does that continue when Jimmy comes back? Or is that just a temporary thing because you need another dynamic offensive player in the, in the starting lineup with, without Jimmy in there? Um, 
Dr. King had one of his best games in, in of the season, probably his best game of the season, coming off the bench in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And Max Drews um, has been playing really well as a starter. I don't really believe in, like, starting bench. It's more about minutes and when you're playing. But, I mean, it is the decision Spoh's going to have to make. Does he put Duncan back in the starting lineup? So, and then, you know, we're not even talking about, like, Victor Oladipo and, and those guys because yeah. we don't know when they're going to come back. But, again, it's just a lot of really, really tough decisions ahead for Spo and his staff because they are, I don't know, I, how much there's 16 players on this roster, not counting Kyle Guy and Chris Silva, and probably 14 have, like, a real argument to be in the rotation at this point if they're healthy. Um, and you probably will only have nine in the playoffs, if that. So yeah. that's this, that means they're going to take five, around five guys, on the, you know, not playing in the playoffs that probably have a real argument to be playing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be, in some ways, the strength is, you know, we, we saw it during the run to the finals a couple of years ago. It was like Kendrick Nunn was not in the rotation, and then all of a sudden he was. Like, that. that's going to always be the thing where, uh, I think we talked about it last week, like, if they're getting killed on the boards in a series, like, and Omar Yurtsevin hasn't played for the first eight games of the playoffs, you might all of a sudden see him in, in the second round if they need it, um, which is obviously a luxury, um, but it also, like, you know, in the playoffs, depth becomes less important, and it's kind of funny that, you know, we've talked about a lot on this show is that's part of the reason I think we thought this team was going to be a better playoff team than a regular season team, but all of a sudden the depth is seems like the team's biggest strength, and it's kind of at the point where it's like, all right, I guess we just never question the Heat's depth. They're always going to find 10-plus competent players, and, and that's, you know, that's enough. That's more than enough, obviously. And can we give like kudos to scouting, like the scouting department, just because I know the coaching staff gets a lot of the credit, and they do deserve a lot of the credit for developing these guys. And I'm sure they have a say in who gets brought in. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't like I say Monty Williams said before the Phoenix game. Um, like, how do they find these guys? Like, yeah, Omar Yurtsev. Like, where did he was like? I've been watching. Right. It's not like the Heat did a ton of development. The Heat did no de- development no. with Kyle Guy. They they picked him up off the street. He did he even practice before he played in his first game. I, I don't, I don't think, think so, so, right? Walk like a walker, maybe. That's about it. Yeah, and then he plays 24 minutes in that first game and has been... Scores a career high in point. Yeah. yeah, and has been incredible, basically, since. Like, they're, they're, for every Omer Yurtsevin that maybe the Heat picked him up, saw something they liked in him, and then got to spend an offseason working with him and developing him a little bit, they're, they're, they're finding guys like Kyle Guy, too. And I don't want to, like, overreact to what Omer's doing, but if this continues, he might be one of their best finds ever. Um, he, again, he's, he's like, these rebounding numbers are unprecedented, or at least haven't been done in a really, really long time. I think he has six, at least 16 rebounds in four straight games, which the last player to do that was like in 1981. Last rookie to do that was like in 1981. Um, these are incredible rebounding numbers, and the fact that he found them, again, undrafted, was in the G League as a backup center. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden, he's... Uh, Barry Jackson wrote something yesterday he talked to Omer after practice and DeAndre Ayton told him you know what you remind me of uh, Nikola Jokic like wh- what I mean I, again I don't know the best that's player true. in the league yeah, yeah like, <laughs> the, the rainy MVP right uh, um, yeah I, it, it's just yeah it's it's incredible I don't know how they keep doing it but credit to them because again they found you know, another I think Part of, like, the culture, quote-unquote culture, was, like, just taking advantage of market inefficiencies, right? Yeah. Where, like, just being in better shape and 
you know, that's going to win you games. And it still does to a certain extent, but, like, you know, it, I think teams have gotten better in the league about that. Um, but now they're exploring another market inefficiency, which is just, like, finding these diamonds in the rough and turning them into quality NBA players, like legit NBA rotation players. And that makes up for the fact that maybe they haven't had, you know, that many draft picks. But they're hitting on so many of these undrafted guys, and they're turning into real players that, that doesn't matter. So, yeah, he did a lot. I, I kind of think the thing with them, they just don't overthink it at all, right? It's like all these guys, you know, you think of the, the real, like, fines they've made in the last three, four years. It's Omar Yurtsevin, who, like, as I've talked about a couple times, a huge recruit. Like, the skill was undeniable with him. It's Kyle Guy right now, who was an All-American at Virginia and, you know, has limitations with size and all that, so the ceiling, whatever, like, but there's no denying that he's one of the best three-point shooters in the world, basically. Um, it's Kendrick Nunn, who, uh, you know, was one of the leading scorers and one th- best three-point shooters in the country when he was at Oakland. He was old, an older guy, obviously, so when undrafted, had some, some legal issues in his past. Um, but, again, like, there was no denying he's talented. Was his ceiling that high? I don't know. But they went and got him. Duncan Robinson, another one who just, like, undeniable, like, I don't know, anyone who watched him in college knew he was one of the best three-point shooters around. Um, you know, he had the stigma, I guess, as being the former Division three guy, and you wondered about his, his quickness and his defensive ability, like, how, how great could he be? Doesn't matter. He saw the skill they like, they get him. Um, Max Struess is probably the, the one, you know, of these guys, he's, like, the one guy who's, like, kind of a major mystery and played at DePaul, uh, Obviously, Big East school, but like, yeah, it that's a typically a bad team, and you know, it's not like he was popping up on all American lists or anything like that. But for the most part, they just don't overthink it. They get the skilled guys. They don't worry. You know, so many teams when they're either drafting or um, they're trying to like find those like fringe players, they're picking up guys with tools that maybe aren't like skilled or aren't polished or anything and, and saying, all right, we can do that. The Heat almost it feels like go the other way where they're like, this guy has a skill. We can take care of the conditioning um, or we just don't care that the ceiling is not that high. He can help us win. And obviously it's a, it's a nice – the Heat are in a, a luxury position where they know they can usually get a superstar in free agency or, or someone will want to come here via trade. So it's different than, than some of these small market teams that are using these roster spots to – Take big, big swings. The Heat, you know, they're they're just hitting doubles, right? They're they're not going for home runs. They're singles, doubles, maybe a triple here and there. Duncan Robinson, I guess, has kind of been a home run, um, but you know, they're they're not looking for superstars in these spots. They're looking for really good players, and it makes it makes it easier. But it's also like you just can keep it simple, and you get a really you have a higher batting average. You might not hit the home runs all the time, and, and most of these teams aren't hitting home runs with these roster spots. So does it really matter? But uh, you're hitting a high batting average on them, certainly. Yeah, and it's like we talked about last week too. Just what you're, how you're asking them to play is like exactly in their comfort, right? Exactly. In their comfort zone, not in a bad way, but just it's what they do. It's what they do well. Like how guy, you ask them to go out there and score. Nothing else. Just do what you do, right? And Duncan Robinson, go out there and be the best shooter in the league. That's a, a lot to ask, but he's that's what he does. He's not a, he's an elite shooter. He's a, you know, other parts of his game, like off the dribble and stuff, that's been developed in recent years, but that's not really his strength. So they really play these, they really play these guys to their strengths, and I think, and they really hone in on those skills. 
um, and really don't ask them to do too much, that I think that's a big part of the success that they've had um, with a lot of these undrafted, unproven guys that they just find in the G League or just find, you know, after the draft that kind of slipped through the cracks. Um, but, I mean, that's that's really been the story of this entire yeah, stretch. Like the fact that all these guys, Max Drews, Gabe Vincent, I mean, Duncan Robinson, Omer Yurtseven, I'm sure I'm missing a Macau guy recently. Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin, a good one, um, have have really just stepped up into bigger roles and thrived. And somehow, again, this team is, what is it now? Uh, 12-7 and seven since Bam went out. Um, can't ask for anything more. The third in the East, three games behind the number one Bulls. They're right there in position to make a run when they get healthy for one of the top seeds in the East. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really, really fun stretch, good stretch for the Heat. And, you know, now I think in the, in the coming weeks, we'll see what this team can be when it's actually healthy, which we really haven't seen yet, at least for an extended stretch yeah. this year. Yeah, they batted a 1,000 basically on the fringe roster additions with Caleb Martin. You know, Max Struess obviously was, was last year, but we'll count him. Uh, Omer Yurtseven, uh, even find Deadman in the middle of last season. Like, if they don't go, like, four for four, five for five, whatever we want to call the number, or if, whatever you're going to qualify as, like, the fringe guys, this team is not, you know, not sitting in, in third place in the Eastern Conference right now. And, you know, even if they even if they don't find Kyle Guy, maybe they're not. Like, they have, they've hit on the additions everywhere they needed to, and it's been the difference between being a team that is treading water with, with their two best players out to being a, a, a team that is ready to make a run at the one seed once those guys get healthy. All right, David, can we, can we get to the Panthers minute? I'm, like, really excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> you want to, you, you're you really impressed by Sam Reinhardt scoring two goals in uh, his return from the COVID list last night? I don't even know if the Panthers won. Did they win? They did win. Okay. They, they killed, they honestly, they killed the Canucks, which is I why know, people had so much time to, to uh, do other things during the third period of that game. That was that was quite the story you wrote. I, I just I just want to get, commend you on that story. It was really really uh, yeah. It was it was great. I loved it. It was a good read. Well, you know, it was a weird week. Uh, so we were obviously talking about the uh, Kodak Black situation. I think we should refer to it as the Kodak Black situation and let other people make their judgments on what happened. It does not seem like there was any. Uh, um, it seemed to be closed based on a second angle video that, that emerged later in the evening and, and a couple eyewitnesses uh, in FLA Live Arena last night. Um, but still, um, it was a weird week for me because the day before I was covering this press conference with uh, everyone, every Miami fan's favorite, uh, uh, I don't know the, the proper adjective, but he's definitely a billionaire, I guess, um, and some adjective to put on, on the front there. Uh, Quirky billionaire, um, I, I don't know the exact way, but uh, they did not do a lot of quality control uh, on that video, on that Zoom press conference, and uh, a lot of people got into the, who got into it who should not have, and someone did a screen share and uh, put up a Pornhub video, so it was an odd two days for me, it was a very Miami two days for me, I would say, um, even though I was technically in Sunrise, Florida, uh, last night up in Bra- West Broward County, which... Um, you know, not not exactly the the not exactly the part of South Florida. I think you'd expect uh, an incident like that to happen. I think you'd, you'd expect Miami Beach, maybe uh, you know, maybe maybe at eleven um, in downtown Miami, but uh, not up in Sunrise, West Broward County. 
But, uh, yeah, it was a very Miami two days for me. Uh, it was great to see Kodak Black at the game. The, you know, the, the Panthers were really excited. The NHL was really excited. You know, you don't get a lot of uh, rappers at hockey games. It's obviously not the demographic uh, that the league has traditionally tried to appeal to. Obviously, they are trying to change things. Um, and I think they were very excited to have Kodak Black in attendance because, you know, in South Florida, we, we got different kinds of celebrities than a lot of the uh, than a lot of the traditional NHL markets do. Kodak, obviously from Pompano Beach, um, and he brought some Pompano Beach to Sunrise last night. Yeah, and I have to say because Tim Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press was supposed to come on to today's episode, but you know there's some scheduling conflicts. He'll probably be beyond next week, but he he wanted me to to tell you and the listeners that. He did a thorough review of the tape, and he said it was just twerking. Yeah, so. I, I think that is that that is the uh, you know I, I was not there, I was not in person, so uh, oh I was in person at the arena, but I, I did not witness the event, and I, I wasn't you know obviously we didn't see we saw snippets right we don't, I don't know how long that went on, but it it seems like it was just twerking, uh, fully clothed, um, you know. Now, you know, Nothing like, different than you would see at Club Live on a on a Saturday at 3 a.m. Right now, when the cat flew, uh, you know, from the whatever 300 level at yeah. Stadium, yeah. you and Tim Reynolds went and interviewed people down there for the story. Um, did you have any thought to go and talk to the? You know, if, if this happened in the first period. I, I would have honestly. I didn't find out about this. Um, you know, I was on deadline and I was writing um, basically for the last like ten minutes of that game. Who cares about the game at that point, David? I think the video kind of circulated around the ten minute mark left in the game, um, and I didn't see it until there was like three minutes left. Um, so I, I just unfortunately did not have time to get over to that luxury box. And I believe, I, actually, I think it was pretty close to us because uh, it was right next to the uh, the executive suite, as cool. you can see in the video. Uh, uh, the the Twitter user who, who tweeted it out uh, pans over and you can see Bill Zito and Roberto Luongo like I don't know 15 feet away from from the incident uh, and Roberto Luongo uh, as a lot of people who follow hockey know one of the best Twitter users on hockey uh, made made a good joke about it on Twitter um, you know the positioning of of the incident made it so that both could keep their eye on the puck and, and avoid flying pucks or flying sticks if they made it up to the sweet level. Um, but oh, it was a, uh, yeah, a fun night at a hockey game and not a, not a night I expected when, when I got there. Just another night in sunrise, David. Just, yeah, that's everyone. Everyone was saying, you know, this is classic sunrise, classic FLA live arena. Just another night in sunrise by Sawgrass Mills mall. Yeah. 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 I wonder where Kodak, do you think he, uh, hit up like the, uh, I don't know. The cheesecake the, factory. Yeah. The, yeah. The quarter deck across the street after the yeah. game. <laughs> I'm sure it was at the Cheesecake Factory across, you know, at the mall across the street before I went to go shopping. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got any other any other Panthers thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no, that was it. Yeah, that was it. All right. I what mean, about any other Heat thoughts? Heat thoughts? Um, I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting week. I don't know if Bam's going to be back. Yeah. Um, but he looks, I mean, you watch him at these shoot rounds and practices. He looks like he's ready to go. I mean, he still has like a light, like taping. You know, his, his thumb is taped, and I don't know if that's going to continue even when he returns. But mm-hmm. he looks like he is ready to go. So I wouldn't. I and I'm not. I don't, this is just my gut. 
talking. Like, I don't – it's not reporting. I mean, they, they he have not given a timetable for BAM. I think Spo was asked about it yesterday and said, you know, he, there is no timetable. But he looks very close. So not, I would not be shocked if he's back within the next week or so um, playing in games. Yeah. Any other Miami sports thoughts? Brian Flores, Mario Cristobal, oh, Brian, Yeah, I mean – that Flores news was very surprising. I don't think any of us really expected that. You very rarely get news like that that just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, literally, text. like, stunned me. Like, right. yeah, like, usually these days, like, there's at least a leak here, like, a couple days before or the day before. There was really nothing, like, on this. Like, it was just came out of nowhere. That was surprising. And the fact that it was made so quickly, right? It was, like, it would be one thing if they were, like, doing, egg, you know, if it was, like, they were deliberating over it for a couple of days. Right. No, it looks nope. like this was done. We're, we're like, we're yeah. not even... Uh, considering it. Know, 12 hours removed from the last game of the regular season where they kind of beat the crap out of the Patriots and yeah, he's out. Yeah, it was, it was really surprising. Um, actually, you know, again, this is going to come out after the fact, but very interested to hear Udonis's thoughts on this. So I might be going to the arena in a few minutes to talk to him about this. To see, I don't think he was very happy according to his Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, just UM basketball. Credit yeah, to shout State. out to UM basketball, State. which lost last night. I, I didn't. That wasn't a foul. That was not a foul, by the way. I don't know if you saw it, but that last foul, that one FSC of the game, was very, like, ticky-tack call, but well, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, it's good. That team is good. Like, yeah. just straight up, that team is good. They're they score a lot of points. They've got a really good offense. Um, I, I was in the building actually a couple last week uh, to watch them play my alma mater, Syracuse. As, as a civilian, I was neutral. I was wearing a, a Seinfeld T-shirt rather than a Carmelo Anthony jersey or a uh, – I don't think I own any University of Miami attire. So, um, you know, saw our former colleague Adam Beasley. It was like a who's who of like South Florida Syracuse media in attendance. Um, but, yeah, they – the crap out of Syracuse that night came back from 18 down obviously beat Duke over the weekend that seems good and, and they've got you know they're they're old so I don't know if we'll be talking about Charlie Moore or Cam Augusti on an NBA podcast in the next couple of years but um I don't know Charlie Moore feels like kind of a heat guy to me yeah I mean they're they're, they're I think they're an NCAA, NCAA tournament team for sure right I mean I, would, I can't believe they weren't ranked this week that was another surprising thing I mean yeah, they were pretty bad in the early part of non-conference. It was a long time ago, but, you know, it still counts. So. Still, their record was very good still. And they won how many in a row? They had one nine, how they many won nine in a row. They yeah. beat the number two team in the country on the road. I'm not saying you have to be in the top ten, but can't be number 22, 23. Like, yeah, they, they were 28 if you look at the others receiving votes. Which, you know, I, I kind of expected them to be between, like, 24 and one of the first teams out. So, you know, they've... But again, you know, it kind of stinks that they lost last night because they definitely would have been ranked uh, next. They're off again until next Tuesday when they play uh, North Carolina. But they definitely would have been ranked uh, ahead of that game. And I would have been, you know, they're, they're, it seems like people are interested in them. I've had a lot of, like, random people kind of, you know, people who I've never talked about Miami basketball with before, obviously, like, want to talk about them lately, including you. So Like me, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, like Yeah, <laughs> people, are, people are definitely into it a little bit. Uh, which is is nice to see. I'll say this: I was uh, growing up pretty big Hurricane basketball fan. Like I, the days yeah. of John Salmons and and uh, I think Darius Rice was his Jack name. McClinton. Jack McClinton Jack always McClinton. killed my turps. Baltimore's own Jack McClinton. Guillermo Diaz. Like 
Yeah, there were some those some fun Miami basketball teams back in the day. So I think those are you know those, those are probably good. You know, they're easy to go to, right? Like. Yeah, you, you live down not too far from the arena oh, growing up, I used, right? I used to actually go to a lot of those games with my yeah, dad. Yeah, and they're, they're fun games, to go to. Right? Yeah. It's like it's it's great. Like you know, it's a tiny gym, obviously, but you know, it's it's a good opportunity to watch live sports. Um, you know, there were definitely more Syracuse fans there than my Miami fans there when I was there the other night. But uh, you know, I think it would be different, obviously, uh, for their next home game. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 good to see really a lot of. The teams that are playing right now in Miami doing very well. Panthers, the Heat, UN basketball. Um, yeah. So a lot of good things going on for South Florida sports. Yeah. All right. I think we can wrap things up there. Uh, you got to head out to uh, State Farm Arena to talk to Udonis Haslam about uh, the Miami Dolphins. Um, so we'll <laughs> let you get going. Um, thanks, everyone, as always, for listening. Uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DBWilson2. Um, And thanks, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.